Everybody doing all right today? All right, if Trevor asks for more energy, I'm going to ask for way more energy. All right, everybody doing all right today? Listen, you came on a great day, and here's what you know. You know that you came on a great day because it's the opening day of Canton Church. And so this was launch Sunday for us. Uh, we changed our name to Canton Church prior to this. We were Mount Perrin North Canton Campus. We are still a campus of Mount Perrin North, but Mount Perrin North Canton Campus is it's, it's kind of doesn't roll off the tongue very well, right? It's a little bit of a mouthful, so Canton Church is a little easier. We're still a campus, and man, so you're here on a great day. It's our first day in this facility after 209 Sundays meeting portably in a high school, uh, and there are 209 stones here that make up the altar. You can go back and listen to our podcast from January the 3rd and hear what that means to us, uh, but uh, we were 209 Sundays portable, so today's the first day in this facility, and uh, we're so thankful to God for that. It's our first Sunday as Canton Church. It's also our first Sunday with two services, and so welcome to the first non-holiday 11 a.m. service. And here's what I'm banking on, okay? Listen to me. Here's what I'm banking on. I am banking on that the 11 a.m. service is going to be my energy crowd, all right? So if that's not you, you may need to slip to 915, all right? Uh, we put a little extra something in the coffee at 11, so we're going to need you to perk up just a little bit. But man, you're here for a great day, and not only the things that I've already mentioned, but we're also kicking off a brand new series called The Essentials. And at the beginning of the year, I know we're a couple weeks into the year already, so you've already made and broken all of your New Year's resolutions, and I know that. Um, you, you've not kept, you're, you're not saving as much money as you wanted to, you're not eating as good, and you, you've already just stopped exercising altogether. But when we look at things of faith, what we look at is these essentials, these things that we really believe like if we base our life around these things, these are the things that we really believe can change our lives. They can lead us into more, more fulfillment, into a Christ-centered life, which is our mission and our vision for our church. Um, and so over the next six weeks, we're going to um, look at this series called The Essentials. But here's what I want you to think about. Like imagine how amazing it would be if you had the opportunity to ask God any question. Like if, if you could just walk right up to him and ask him anything that you wanted to ask him. Maybe you have people in your life or maybe you've done it where something happened and you wish that you could explain it or that somebody could explain it to you. And so, man, you just, you wish, man, if God were standing right here, I'd ask him, like, why did this happen? Why didn't I get the promotion? Why didn't my team win yesterday? Like, whatever it is you want to ask him. Well, now put yourself in the days of the New Testament scriptures, not when they were written, but actually when they were being lived out. And in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have recorded these stories, these conversations between Jesus and the people that he was doing life with and that lived during that time in history. And over the course of those four books, what we see is that Jesus was asked 113 specific questions from someone right to him. Wouldn't that have been awesome? I mean, like, you know, you're, you're reading through your Bible and you're like, man, I have no idea what that means. So you just turn around and go, Jesus, what does this mean? Right? Wouldn't that be amazing to do that? But 113 times, people ask him specific questions. And we see in the book of Luke, chapter 10, a conversation where this takes place. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip with me to Luke, chapter 10. You've got a device of some kind. You can scroll there. These scriptures will be up on the screen, most of them today. But uh, I'd love for you to follow along. There's a conversation that's taking place between Jesus and some religious leaders and people he's teaching, as he did so often in the scriptures. And, and what we see is in this conversation... One of the religious leaders asks Jesus a question that many of us have probably wondered or thought at different times in our life, where he asks Jesus, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Pretty much what he's saying, if I could sum it up, is, hey, if there's life after death, if there's something to come, what do I have to do to get in on that? And so Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer that question for you. You answer it for yourself. What does the law of Moses say? 
And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, what we read is the answer that that guy gives to Jesus. It says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to unpack really that passage of Scripture. We're going to look at loving God with our heart, loving God with our mind, loving God with our soul, loving God with our strength, loving ourselves, and loving other people, loving our neighbors. So we're going to look at that for the next six weeks. So to kind of set this up, I thought it would be great for us to maybe see this. I'm a pretty simple guy, so I felt like this might help us to understand that. So if you think about your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, you might be wondering, well, what, what's the differentiation there? Like, how is that different? So here's how we're going to use this for this next six weeks. We're going to take heart and we're going to call that our will. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about that in relation to the thing that drives us, the thing that we kind of say, hey, if it's up to me, this is where I'm headed. I, I've got this iron will, this resolve to move that way. That was a good movie, by the way. I don't know if anybody caught that reference. But I've got this will, this drive to do something. And so that's what our heart is. And then when we talk about our mind, what we're talking about there is we're talking about our thoughts and our feelings. And if you have a thought, it usually comes with a feeling. It's either a good feeling or a bad feeling, depending on the thought that you have. Very rarely is it just kind of a neutral feeling based on the thought that you're having. And then so when we talk about our soul, we're really talking about that deep place inside of us, that, that spirit place, that place inside of us that, man, there's just something that connects on a spiritual level. Maybe you had that experience during a time of worship or in another uh, time or another venue. And when we talk about our strength, what we're talking about here is we're talking about our behaviors and we're talking about our actions. We're talking about those external things that really help us to, that we, we can see the people's strengths. We can see their behaviors and their actions. And so there's really three ways that you can approach God in life. And the first of those, if, if this picture represents God and this represents your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and I know not everybody can see that. That's kind of, uh, I'm sorry about that, but I'll try my best to move around. One of the ways that you could view this is to go, well, I don't believe there is a God. Or maybe it's not that strong. Maybe you say, well, I believe there's something out there somewhere. I believe there is a God or there's some other figure out there that's helping to control life or helping to set courses and things like that. But I don't really think that he has anything to do with my life. I think he's removed. He created it. Maybe he's out there somewhere. Maybe. But I am, along with the rest of the human race, living my own life and I'm doing my own thing. And really, if you're honest with yourself, what you're saying is, I'm my own God. Now, if that's you in the room, you may have never said that. Maybe you're not so presumptuous to assume something like that. But if you think about it, if you're saying that, no one else outside of me has control over me. No one else dictates any of my behaviors. No one impresses upon me anything. Then you're saying that I, I'm my own God. I, I am the God of my own universe. I am controlling my habits. Now, maybe circumstances are impacting that. But for the most part, I am doing my own thing. And that works for your heart. You can say, hey, this is my will. This is what I want to do. It really works for your mind. You can think what you want to think, feel what you want to feel. It really works for your strength. You can behave and have the actions and attitudes that you want to have. But I think if we're all honest, if you've ever been in that place, you've ever lived that way, I think if we're honest, there's a part of it that's missing on the soul level. There's a part of our souls that need to connect to something that is higher than us, something that's greater than us, something that's grander than us. Scripture tells us later in the New Testament that God jealously desires the spirit he placed within us. There's something about God connecting to us on a spiritual level. So if that's you and you say, well, I don't believe in God or I don't believe he has any relation in my life, then you're just left with God or whatever it is over here and you're living your own life. There's a second way that you could live where you could say, okay, well, there is a God. God, 
And I believe that he can have some part in my life. And so it might be that you're saying, okay, maybe, maybe like our, our kids in school where we kind of forgot to study for a, a test. And so we sit in our class and we get word from our teacher that, oh, it's, you know, take out your pencils, put away your books, it's test time. And you're like, oh, that was today. Right? Nobody ever had that feeling ever. All right, great. It's going to be that kind of day. All right, so you say, okay, well, God, I need you to help me. Like, it, it's, not, it's not fractions. Nobody understands fractions. So it's not fractions. It's my will. It's my heart. So, God, I, I just need you to help me a little bit here with my heart. Just, just give me a little bit of what you want for my heart, and just, just help me with that, God. You say, okay, well, I, I kind of passed that. Okay, God, man, I just need your help with my mind. My thought life is all over the place, and I'm gripped by things and my feelings. And God, please help me with my mind. So, God, I recognize that there's a higher power and I really need some help. So God, help my soul. God, please help my soul. You say, God, my behaviors, I know. Man, I'm not living in a way that honors you. And so I need help with my strength, with my behavior, with my actions. God, I need you to help me. And, and you're left here continuing to ask God, God, I was doing pretty good in these other areas, but God, I just need you to come here and just help me with my mind today. I'm struggling in my mind. I'm struggling in my behaviors. God, would you please just help me? And so you're just constantly coming back to a God, asking him to fill the places where you fall short. But that's not what we read in Luke chapter 10 when the religious leader says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, go to church more. He didn't say, pray another prayer and ask God to give you six more percent today towards your heart and six more percent. Because all of these don't together equal 100%. He said, all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength. So together, we've got to figure out how to live in such a way where all of all of these things are given to God. So let's put this picture aside for a moment, and let's look at the third way that we could live our lives in relation to God. A little bigger pitcher of water here. If you're hot, you're probably thinking, man, I could drink that entire thing right now. So instead of saying, God, I don't believe that you have anything to do with my heart, anything to do with my will, instead of saying, God, I don't need you just to give me a little bit of you, what if you said, God, don't just help my heart, have my heart. Instead of saying, God, I don't just believe that you're over here and my mind is left to whatever I can think and whatever I can feel on my own. Instead of saying, God, I just want you to help me a little bit with my mind. What if you said, God, have my mind? Instead of saying, God, I don't believe you're over here and my soul is here and I'm supposed to figure out how to connect on a spirit level with something somewhere and I'm not asking you just to help my soul. What if you said, God, have my soul? Instead of saying, God, I, I guess my behavior, my actions, it's not great, but you're over there. You can't dictate that. You can't help me with that. I've got to do it by myself. Instead of saying, God, just help me a little bit with my behavior. Help me a little bit with my actions. Instead of doing that, what if you said, God, have my strength? I believe when Jesus is talking to the religious leader, he was not saying, I'm over here and you're left to yourself to find eternal life. I don't think he was saying, hey, you're here and I'm close enough that I can help you a little bit along the way whenever you call out to me when it's test time and you're in the middle of something and you just need enough to get through today. I think he said, love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Let everything that I am completely cover everything that you are. And I think what we're left with is going, okay, well, I'm not over here and God's over here. I am in God. You know, it's, it's kind of like Jesus take the wheel. Like if you pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, 
Like, I don't know if country music has anything to do with faith. I kind of think it does sometimes. It tells stories that I believe I'm living out. And so if it's Jesus take the wheel, that kind of sounds like Jesus come into my heart. And I think if we think that image through, we think, oh, well, that's, I just give Jesus a little piece of me. But if today we're going to talk about our heart, if we're going to talk about our will, then what we have to realize is that when we were here, there were parts of these bowls that were still left unfilled. We asked Jesus for help, but there was still part of it that was me. It was still empty. It wasn't completely filled by God, and so I was left to still make it myself. I don't think it's Jesus, take the wheel, and I'll give you control every now and then. I think it's really, Jesus, you're the entire car, and you let me ride in it, right? Because if we're going to talk about heart today, what we have to understand is that our heart is our will, and when it comes to our will, we have a choice. We can choose to surrender our will, or we can choose to stay in control. We can choose to obey or to disobey. We can choose to say, God, I love you, but I don't want to give control up to you, right? Because it's not enough just to say, God, I love you, right? And my wife's sitting down here, and if I say to her, I love you, I think that probably means something. But if my actions don't reflect that, if my behavior doesn't reflect that, if my thoughts and my feelings don't reflect that towards her and she sees that, I think she's going to begin to see a disconnect and she's going to quit believing the words that I say with my mouth. Because it's not just enough to say, God, I love you. It's about something more than that. John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus says these words that are super challenging to me when he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. I want to say that one more time because that's really good. This is what it says in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It's not enough just to say, God, I love you. We have to obey. I've already referenced my kids once or twice before, but my kids have a choice anytime I give them a command, anytime that I give them some instruction. If I say to my son, Cooper, who's watching a ball game, Cooper, get up, go clean your room. He has two choices, right? He can say, I will obey what my father has told me because my father is the greatest father in the history of the universe. This is how he thinks. He's already talked to me about it. Or he can say, no, I'm more interested in the game right now. And, and I think we all know this, but it probably needs to be said that even delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Even partial obedience is disobedience. If I say to Cooper, Cooper, get up and go clean your room and he doesn't do that until the next commercial, he's been disobedient, correct? Because he was delayed in his obedience. If, if I say, Cooper, get up and go clean, uh, make your bed, and he walks into his room, takes a couple pillows that are on the floor and throws them up onto his bed, he's kind of done what I asked him to do, but he's being disobedient, correct? Well, it's easy for me to point to my kids, but man, it's a little more difficult when I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my life and my example because God asks me to do things. And I delay, or I partially obey, or I outright disobey because I have a will, I have a heart, I have desires, I have things that I want to do that I'm comfortable doing, and I'm confronted with what God wants for me versus what I want for me. I want us to do a little exercise here together for a couple of minutes. And to do this well, I need all of us to operate under three basic assumptions. Now, I realize that you may not agree with all or any of the assumptions that I'm about to give to us, but just for the next three minutes, I want us to all agree together. Okay? So here's the first assumption. The first assumption is that God speaks to us. You may disagree with that, but I'm asking you for the next three minutes to assume that I'm right and say God speaks to us. The second assumption is that we can hear him. 
very much like I'm speaking now. I've got a microphone strapped to my face. You can hear me. Even if I didn't have a microphone here, you could hear me probably. But let's assume altogether that when God speaks, we can hear him. That's the second assumption. The third assumption is that when God speaks, we can hear him and we can understand him. Let's assume for a minute, maybe you disagree with that, maybe you have a bad kind of past and there's some things that that got all thrown out of whack, but let's assume altogether for the next three minutes, just for a moment here, that God speaks, we can hear him when he speaks, and we can understand what he's saying. For the next three minutes, let's do that. Now here's what I want you to do. Out of those same assumptions, I want you to imagine your life. Let's imagine that your life's pretty good. Let's imagine that even in the midst of that life, you have a job that you love. You love your job. Now, under those three basic assumptions, let's assume just for a moment, me playing the part of God, not assuming that role, just playing that part. I'm just wearing that label for a moment here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Me playing the part of God, speaking into your life. What if I were to say, you know that job that you love? Out of obedience to me, I want you to quit. What if you say, well, that's, that's not a difficult thing because I hate my job. Okay, you hate your job. What if I were to say to you as the voice of God who we can all hear and we can all understand, what if I were to say to you, out of obedience to me, God, I want you to stay on that job. What if you said, okay, well, let's take it out of job because I don't really know how I feel about my job or I'm in transition right now. What if you say, well, you know, I'm single, but just for a season because I've got a couple of folks kind of out on the perimeter here and I'm kind of checking some things out. I got an A plan, a B plan. I got a C plan. I got a Z plan. Like it's eventually we're getting there. And if all of them say no, like I've even got a backup for that. And you say, this is just for a season. I'm just single for a season and I am going to get married. What if I were to say to you as the voice of God, but no, my plan for you is greater and I need you to stay single for your entire life out of obedience for me. What if you would say, well, I'm not single. I can't even remember what it's like to be single. I'm married, but man, we're having trouble. We're having some difficulty and we're contemplating divorce. One or both of us have already contacted an attorney and we've already set some things in motion. What if I would say to you today as the voice of God in your life, out of obedience to me, work it out. Stay in it. Go to counseling. Forgive. Love first. What if you would say, man, I, I love my house. What if out of obedience to God, I would say, move? You say, well, I hate my house. I hate my neighbors. What if out of obedience to God, I would say, stay there forever? You say, well, I, I, I love my life in general. What if I'd say out of obedience to God, move to Africa, sell everything you got, move Over the last three minutes, here's what we've done through a variety of hypothetical situations. We have tested our will. We have tested our level of surrender. There are certain things that we would surrender to and other things that we would not. Am I, am I telling the truth this morning? Like, there are some things that, like, if God asked you to do that, you'd be like, no problem. Like, if God said to me, Jeremy, out of obedience to me, quit eating avocados. I could do that. The next time I have an avocado will be the first. <laughs> obedience there is not a big deal, right? But if God were to say to me, Jeremy, out of obedience to me, quit eating meat, I'd be like, I don't think it's coming through, God. There's a disconnect here. There's, there's, uh, did I, you say avocados. I got it. I got it. No avocados, right? Because I have a will. I have a desire. I have a level of surrender that I'm comfortable with. But in John 14, what we heard is that if you love me, you will obey me. 
Not if you love me, you will attend church more regularly. Not if you love me, you will attend a life group. Not if you love me, you will give. All of those things are great. But that is not the metric by which God chooses to look at you and go, yeah, they love me. No, God says, no, what is your level of obedience? What is your level of surrender? That's how I know if you love me. That's how I know. Because if I'm looking at my heart, if I'm looking at my will, if I'm looking at the things in my life to try to determine how much I really trust God and if God has my heart and if God has all of me, if I'm not just a bowl down there that has a little bit of God but a lot of me left in it, but if I am completely submerged, immersed in all of God, if I am listening to the commands of God and I'm loving him with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all, if that's me, if I'm living here and not over here, then here's what I have the ability to do. I say yes to God before he has to ask. I, I don't wait to see if he asks me to sell my house or to quit my job or stay on my job. I just say, God, my answer is yes. I'm surrendered. I'm committed. My heart is yours. My will is yours. That's tough though, right? March the 2nd of this year, 2016, we will celebrate the 5th anniversary, I don't know what to call it, of my mom's passing. My mom was very young. She got sick two years prior to her passing with cancer. And she battled cancer for two years, and she eventually went into the hospital around this time, in mid-January, and didn't come out until right before she passed. And I remember getting the call that they had admitted mom, and Corey and I flew up, and Dad said, you know, if, if you want to say bye to your mom, you probably need to get up here. We flew up. We were up there, and we ended up staying for an extended period of time. We would try to travel back some and go back up, and we would do the best we could for a number of days. My dad had made a promise several months prior to my mom that he would not let her die in a hospital. I don't really fully understand the promise or why that was a big deal to her, but she asked him to, and he said he wouldn't let it happen, and he kept his promise. And so we all knew that as we're getting close to the end, as she's in the hospital, in what we believed to be her final days, as we continued to pray for God to miraculously heal her and believed that he could with all of our hearts, we were trying to watch and make sure that if God chose not to do that, that we wanted to get her out of the hospital before she passed away. And so I was at the hospital one morning, in late February, and I was there by myself. The, the rest of the family, I think, had gone to lunch, and I chose to kind of hang around and stay. And while I was in the room, one of the doctors made a round, kind of came around. It was a doctor we knew. She had been around for the weeks that we had been there, and we had kind of gotten a good rapport with her. And I said to her during that visit, because she was laying out kind of where mom was at in the process, and I said, Doc, we promised my mom that we wouldn't let her die in a hospital. If this was your mom and you made that promise, when would you take her home? And she said, today. I said, okay, thank you so much. That's what I needed to know. I got on the phone. I called my dad. I said, you need to get back up here. Today's the day. We got to get her home. We made arrangements with hospice. We were going to get her transported. And I said to the doctor that day, I said, hey, doc, I, one more question. How much longer do we have? She said, I can't really answer that. She said, from a medical perspective, I can tell you that she probably doesn't have more than a day and a half or two days to live. She said, but there's something that we can't measure about her, and it's her will to live. Uh, we don't know. I mean, 
she might not make it a day and a half, but she might make it a few more hours or a few days beyond that. And so we took her home that day, and she lived 11 days. Now, in the last few days that she was in the hospital, man, she was out of it. She was in a coma, unresponsive. You, you know, if you've seen the movies or maybe you've walked through this and with somebody that you love, you kind of squeeze their hand. You say, Mom, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. Nothing. She's completely sedated to try to help manage the pain. Something happened, though, when we got her home. We got her in her house, and they wouldn't really let her grandbabies back in that hospital room, but those grandbabies just wallered all over her bed. And she perked up. And she started listening. She started talking. We put a keyboard in the room, and we would go in, and we would play, and we would sing. We'd sing her favorite worship songs. And she would just sit up in the bed and start singing with us. Like, we feel like we stole about nine and a half days with mom. It was unbelievable, right? Yeah, it was absolutely. And then in the last two days or so, that happened less and less. She quit responding. She went back into a coma. They gave her the medicine, and she didn't really respond to us anymore after that. About day 10 or so that she was home, my aunt, who was a registered nurse and there at the house with us during those days to help us just manage that between the hospice visits, she said, just, just talk to her. My dad, my brother, and I, we had kind of all talked about this. And so I, I was sitting on the edge of her bed one night, that night on the 10th day. And I, I said, Mom, you know I love you. I don't know if she heard me. I don't, I don't know if she didn't respond. All that kind. I said, you know I love you. I can't imagine life without you. I'm going to miss you so much, but I need you to know it's okay if you want to stop fighting. I know you're in a lot of pain. Through conversations, I know my, my dad had the same kind of conversation. I know my brother had the same kind of conversation. And I'm not saying that we willed her to death. We continued to pray for God's miraculous healing in her body. The next morning, we woke up. My aunt said, it's time. We all gathered around. We prayed. We spoke life into her, loving words into her, and she passed away. What we could not measure about her was her will to live. Now, she's no different than people that you love who have passed away. I'm not saying she was any stronger or they're any weaker. It has nothing to do with that. But here's what I want us to know today. You do not have to wait until the end of your life to see how strong your will to live is. You don't have to wait until the end of someone's life around you that you love and you know to see how strong their will to live is. You can see it in the way that they live and you can recognize it in the way that you live. Because you have the opportunity now to determine how you will live. You can set your will to live towards something specific. You can decide that I will chart my own course. I will create my own will. Or I will ask God to help me a little bit in my will. Or you can take your entire will, your entire heart, give it to God and say, I love you with all of my heart. And I am surrendered to you no matter what you ask of me. Jesus is the supreme example, as we find almost every time in Scripture. He is the example that we can turn to and look to and see. We can gain so much wisdom from the way that he lived and he interacted with his circumstances and the things that he encountered in his life. And in the final hours of his life, just before he was arrested, just prior to the time he went to the cross, if we do believe he's the son of God, if we do believe that he was 100% God and 100% human, uniquely blended together, if we believe those things, then we believe he understood what was coming. 
And he went aside from all the things that were taking place to pray. He took some of his closest followers with him, and he spent some time praying there. And this is what it says in Luke 22, 41 and 42. It says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He's showing us that even when you know the outcome, you can ask God to change it. And yet at the end of the day, your level of surrender is expressed by saying, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew the outcome. I believe that with all of my heart. And he said, God, please don't let me have to endure the suffering. Please don't let me have to endure the pain. Please do not let me have to endure death. Now, what you and I know, and I believe what he knew, is that the suffering would be the way in which we found healing. The pain would be the way in which he identified with the pain that we would experience. His death would be the way by which we found salvation and forgiveness. And he knew all that, and yet he still said, Please, Father, don't make me do this. And then he said, But not my will, not my heart, not my desires, your will be done. What you want to be accomplished, God, I submit to that above what I want to be accomplished. If this morning you were sitting here and you were saying, I, I, I know how my story is going to play out. I'm in chapter two and there are eight chapters in this story and I know exactly how it's going. I'm a planner. I'm type A. Like I got it figured out. After this is this, and after that is that. I mean, like, I know how this thing plays out. If in the midst of this story that you know how it's going to play out, if you're in a situation that you desire for it not to come to pass, would you have the same ability as Christ to sit there and say, I would rather this not happen, God, but you've got a plan. I trust you. Not my will. Your will be done. Some of us still wouldn't pray that prayer. And now let me ask the reality question. If you don't know how the end of the story plays out. If you're walking through a circumstance in your life and you don't know how in the world this fits into the plan of God. You don't have any clue how God could bring any good out of what you're walking through today. If you can't figure out why they left. If you can't figure out why they hurt you. If you can't figure out why they said that if you can't figure out why it happened to you and not to them. If you're standing in the middle of that and you don't even have a clue what tomorrow looks like, you don't have a clue what next week looks like, and next, like if you don't know how this plays out, do we have the ability to say, God, if you could let this thing pass me by, this would be awesome. but not my will. Your will be done. I'm willing to endure the pain. I'm willing to endure the suffering. I'm willing to endure even death because I trust you. I submit my heart to you, my will to you. Do we have the ability to declare to God today, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. 
God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. If we can't answer that question, we're not surrendered. We're not submitted. We're not submerged. If we can't say yes to that question, we're just over here with a little bit of God in us. And not over here, completely in God. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God with all of your heart, all of your will, all of your desires, all of your passions, all, all. God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude today. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I hear what you're saying and I know for sure that I am not completely given to God. I've kept part of me for me. I've not given him my entire heart, my entire desires. I want to make sure that I do that today. I want to commit that to God. I'm not asking him to help me. I'm asking him to have me. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Nobody's looking around. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. And now if you would say to me today with nobody looking around, Jeremy, I need God to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that my life... My behaviors, they do not reflect the nature and character of God. And today I need to accept him as the Lord of my life. I need him to forgive my sins. I need to align myself and my heart with him. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Put it right back down. Thank you so much. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the hands that are lifted today to represent hearts that are lifted to you. And God, today I pray for all of us that we would submit our hearts, submit our wills, give ourselves completely to you. God, if you say to us that if we obey you, you'll know our love for you, then God, I pray for us to increase our level of obedience. That today, God, you would help all of us to understand that we don't just need a little more of God in our lives. We need to give our lives completely to you help our surrender level today. Help our obedience level today. Don't let us delay obedience. Don't let us exercise partial obedience. God, let us be completely obedient to you. God, through the hypothetical situations and things that we ask today, God, I pray that even when you ask us the hard things, we would say yes to you because we trust you and we believe you have a plan for our lives. Help us to live in such a way that it honors you forgive our sins, lead us into paths of righteousness for your namesake. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. 